You're listening to Serious Inquiries Only. Welcome to Serious Inquiries Only. This is episode 120. I'm your host, Thomas Smith. All right, at long last, the thing I vague booked about, I am very excited to finally bring you today. So you guys will probably know that I've always been a big fan of philosophy. I took a lot of it in college, but ended up going a more practical route in terms of what I majored in. But I did study it. I love it. I love talking about it. Uh, Previously, I've had Aaron Rabbi on quite a few times to talk about different philosophy topics. And they're really fun. They've always gone over well. And I think you already know what I'm going to say. But we had the idea for a new show. And it's a show that I actually think has the potential to be one of the best philosophy podcasts out there. It actually came about because Black Mirror Season 4 was so damn good, and uh, Aaron and I like to talk about our, our favorite shows and movies and all that, and we realized how fun it is to break down like our favorite sci-fi shows, and Aaron always has the ability to just dig down to the philosophical underpinnings and get at things that I, I wouldn't have thought of, and I think a lot of people wouldn't have thought of. Aaron has an incredible skill for breaking down art thematically and and get at the underlying structure and what's going on in in ways that I don't normally perceive. And it's really been fun to talk to him about this kind of stuff. So that's the premise of the show. I think it's so cool. So we take our favorite sci-fi episodes and movies and that kind of thing. We talk briefly about why we love it so much. We break it down and then we turn over to a philosophical topic that is either directly involved in it or maybe is, a, is an offshoot of what happened in the, the piece of sci-fi. And we take actual text, actual reading. We're learning about actual philosophy in a really fun way and discussing it as it relates to the media and the art that we're consuming. Enough of me describing it, so here's the plan. I'm bringing you today episode one from our podcast, which is called Philosophers in Space. <laughs> And I want you guys to try it out, see how you like it, and uh, if it's something that enough people support, we'll launch it independently. For now, we'll keep it as maybe a monthly episode on Serious Inquiries Only, but I really do think it deserves to be its own show. It's really cool. We've got a number of them recorded ahead of time, and we've got so many ideas for great episodes to come. We're having a really fun time doing this show. And with that said, I'm just going to throw it over to episode one of Philosophers in Space. We're talking about the USS Callister, the the first episode of season four of Black Mirror. And Aaron's going to use that to teach us about the experience machine, some thought experiments by Robert Nozick. This is so fun. I really hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed making it. Stick around after the episode as well. I'll be back with some more details. I hope you enjoy it. Here you go. Philosophers in space, 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 space. That is the sound of inevitability. Logic clearly dictates that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. What about the reality where Hitler cured cancer, Morty? The answer is don't think about it. 
Hello and welcome to Philosophers in Space. Oh, Aaron, it is nice to be up here floating around with you. How are you doing? I'm so excited. I didn't even take my Soma today. I'm, I'm real happy. <laughs> I am really excited too. In no small part because I am just pumped because of our swashbuckling intro. I mean, we, we really are going to have to do a lot of exploration and uh, breaking new ground in this show because it it's we're set up as such with the theme music, so we have to do it. Oh, it's it's really it's choice theme music. I just keep listening to it over and over, and especially the quotes. Uh, the Rick and Morty kills me every single time. <laughs> oh, can't oh, cancer Hitler. <laughs> Looking forward to developing that more as we go on. Of course, we can swap in and out those quotes. It's going to be fun. But we've got to get to our show. I'm so excited to break down some of our favorite philosophy and some of our favorite sci-fi. And who knows, maybe sometimes it'll be really bad sci-fi like, you know, Mystery Science Theater and we'll be talking about why it sucks. But for now, <laughs> we can uh, fanboy out about some of our favorite shows, movies, books, whatever it is, and then talk about the philosophical underpinnings and, and additional ideas. I think it's such a good idea. Let's get into it. It's our first episode. Yeah. Take us to the exposition zone. You're traveling through another dimension beyond that which is known to podcasters. It is the middle ground between fair use and copyright infringement, between ordinary fanboying and meaningful analysis. It is the exposition zone. So this episode, we are talking about what I hope everyone listening has already watched, which is Season four, episode one of The Black Mirror, and it is called The Callister, and it is just a phenomenal, phenomenal episode. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this one. It was so yeah. good. I like it really, it really, I love this. It's my favorite Black Mirror episode. What do you think? It is, it is, it is definitely one of the best ones, and, and we should be clear because we're going to immediately start getting corrections. Uh, the USS Callister, I believe, ah. is the full name of the episode. Um, but yes, I, I love this episode. Uh, I love it for so many reasons. First of all, I love it because it maximizes the horror. Like it's such a a disturbing episode to watch, and you're just you're really compelled and gripped by the concerns of the the main characters as they're dealing with it. And then there's just so much meta commentary that's going yeah. into it. It's great. Yeah, there's a ton in it. Should be clear that this this isn't going to be spoilers. There 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 will be spoilers on this show. Yeah. So we can't but, do the philosophy without the spoilers. Exactly, but you have no excuses for not watching this episode. It's on Netflix. You need to check it out. So assuming you have or you don't care about spoilers. <laughs> so it starts off with the main character who is well, and actually it starts right off thinking you're in the the show, which is what I love so much about it. It's like you're watching an old Star Trek episode. They even have the uh, the like the filters on so it looks a little bit old-timey and it, it was such a cool intro. But we find out that uh, that that's not the show. We're not actually just watching an episode of Star Trek. It turns out that the main character, Jesse Plemons. Is it, is it wrong? Are we going to get in trouble for this? Right? He's discount rack Matt Damon. Right. Exactly. He's right. Okay. The, the, the one I saw a long time ago was Jesse Plemons was Matt Damon after he ate too many potatoes on the uh, on Mars. But on I don't Mars, know that's... yeah. No, that's good. <laughs> Well, he's also great. I I really like him. He's been he's been mm -hmm. good in, in everything I've seen as an actor, but uh, in my opinion. But um, so he's the main character, and we come to find out that he works as a chief technical officer 
of a company that's called Callister Incorporated, which is the same name as the ship, of course, USS Callister. But uh, it was founded by him and his associate, who we've also seen in the ship. So as we step out of the fake sci-fi show we just thought we were watching with Jesse Plemons as the captain, we come to find out that he works at this company and people that you see working were people that were on the ship a minute ago. Right. So that's the first twist. Right, right. So, and it turns out that, uh, I love, th- this is what I love about this episode. One, one thing I love is it starts off as a typical, like, oh, here's this nerdy guy that no one appreciates, you know, mm-hmm. except for one cute girl who is the new employee at the company. And she's very interested in, in Jesse Plemons's work in the company, because we come to find out that even though he co-founded it, he doesn't really get the credit for it. And his partner uh, is is like the CEO and is getting all the, the glory. So it starts off, yeah. you think it's, again, yet another twist. There's so many twists in this one. It sort of starts off as, oh, the nerd that nobody understands, but this cute girl, she understands his genius and you know knows how he really is the brains behind the company and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's a really great setup because they cultivate a bunch of sympathy for him and they make it seem like the fictional world that you saw at the beginning is maybe some sort of wonderful idealized fantasy. And then uh, what you discover is he overhears this new girl uh, chatting with one of the people around the office and hears that person suggest he's a bit of a creeper. Um, so, you know, kind of bullying and you feel so, you know, uncomfortable for him. And then yeah. he steals a coffee cup that this girl was drinking in a really creepy little scene, you know, grabs it, sticks it in a plastic bag, takes it home, scans it. And what you discover is he's been taking all of the people that he doesn't like from his office and scanning them into a private version of this video game that he created into this world where he can torture them forever basically yeah well i mean it's it's unclear like it's it's because the first scene we saw of the game was all positive i mean it was just him you know they were on some adventure and it was just like a a good star trek episode where everybody's happy and he's the hero kind of thing but it quickly takes a dark turn because he's he he is angry he was he had a bad day at work and so he takes it out on the fictionalized uh, but conscious versions of these people in the game. Well, yeah, and there's that horrifying scene. Well, he first comes in after he has scanned the new girl. Mm-hmm. She's been uploaded. The AIs that are already in this world explain to her the horrifying situation. And then he shows up. She refuses to play along. And he tortures her by taking away her face and, like, yeah. forcing her to, like, feel suffocation endlessly, basically, until she submits. It's this... It's a really, really wonderful version of the classic Star Trek episode of a super powerful but emotionally immature entity torturing people on a starship. You know what I mean? It's a great twist to have the human being be the Mm. torturing super being and have the AIs be the plucky crew that is trying to escape and survive. And where where it really just gets good in this episode for me is when he leaves, we it's mm-hmm. not as though, you know, the game's gone and, and then we're just following him. Like, he leaves at a certain point and we're seeing 
these people in the video game who are essentially like actors just hanging around a set now, you know, like they're, this is their lives, these (laughs) entities, these conscious beings, their lives is this game. And you, they, you start to see why they're going along with it because they, what we've seen so far is they're always going along with it. They're going with his whims, they're acting, they're making the show a good experience for him. And you wonder why. And, And as you alluded to, it's because he holds all the power and eventually you, you get a real inside picture into what their lives are like. And mm-hmm. it's it's very believable to me. Like, well, you know, if you're in that situation, you have no options. Your options are suffering at the hand of this guy or doing what he wants and, you know, making him happy. And then you kind of get to at least not suffer. It's depressing. But I also, what I like about this episode is how believable a lot of it is. Like the reality mm-hmm. of what it would be like for those conscious creatures in that game in that software it was very believable to me yeah and you can also imagine that an individual who feels powerless in in one world uh could create a situation like that where they feel extremely powerful and how that would drive them to uh increasingly potentially immoral behavior right and as he's introduced a new character this new cute girl programmer that he took from work essentially we get to see the process of an, you know, a new initiate into this situation and mm-hmm. the, uh, they, they explain her situation, but she's in disbelief for a while and we're kind of led to believe, and it makes sense that, you know, this is, this is what happens every time he introduces a new being into this thing. There's sort of a breaking in and, uh, um, and an initiation, but in what turns out to be the very clear hero of this, uh, the, the character, and this is Nanette Cole is the character name. Kristen Malati mm-hmm. is the actress. She's uh, great she, too. Yeah, so good. And she she ends up being the protagonist because she, for what we see, her new character, her her new iteration of her, uh, the copy of her in the game that is, are she's not going to put up with it, and she's trying everything she can with her resourcefulness and with her uh, ingenuity to see if she can find a way out of this and find a way to stop it. Yeah, unfortunately, we're not going to have time to talk about it too much, but I love the critique of like. Uh, the female gamer programmer coming into a world being dominated by a mm. man refusing to accept that dominance and finding some way to to trick him and take and get her freedom basically it's a great social justice kind of commentary there absolutely so like what's great is she has all of this um autonomy and she what's what's hilarious is that they they do a great little side bit about revenge porn where she effectively uses Mm, revenge porn against herself to blackmail herself into helping them but what's so fantastic about this another thing to mention is that this becomes the star trek episode like Mm -hmm. the episode at first you know when it started off it's the they're on the bridge and jesse plemons gets whatever he wants and he's the hero whatever and then as the episode unfolds it's like no the the good story here, like the conflict, the drama, the the fun is, can this entity in the game figure out a way to escape? And it's like, that's what's what I love so much about this episode is that becomes the start. That's the real hero. Like, that's the Star Trek. That's the captain. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's so great. And it's why I love the ending so much. So, right. Super spoiler alert. They successfully trap the bad guy in his own universe as the universe is getting shut down and they escape as artificial intelligences out into the cloud and appear to be free to explore the universe in a complex multi-dimensional you know video game basically um and it's uh, amongst the uh black mirror endings yeah. it is one <laughs> of the most one of the happiest endings. yeah <laughs> And I want to debate with you some in a second about whether or not it actually is an upbeat ending, mm. but I think 
it certainly is portrayed as such. It's like a success uh, uh, over the, you know, controlling power of essentially a, a dominant white male. Yeah. And there, so transitioning kind of out of the exposition, there are a lot of themes to hit on this. Probably This episode probably touches on themes we'll be discussing for the entire life of this show. So it's hard mm-hmm. to pick just one. And I, I do love, there's been great articles written on it about uh, what this says about kind of toxic fandom. I think that's a big thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Lots to analyze here, but what we're going to talk about in particular why don't you why don't you take that away yeah we're going to focus in on a very specific thought experiment so we're going to head over to our proper thought experiment machine mm, yes initiating thought experiment engage do you want to talk about who the author is of this yeah so this is robert nozick's um experience machine question So the thought experiment that I wanted to address here, right, uh, is going to come in the form of an offer. So uh, let me put it to you this way. Uh, Mr. Smith, can I call you Thomas? No. Uh, I mean, yes. Sorry. Always say in improv, you always want to agree. So yes. There we go. Yes, and Thank you very (laughs) much. I have the offer of a lifetime for you. And I don't mean that metaphorically. I mean that literally. Yes, and. Yeah. No. no, (laughs) (laughs) I want to offer you a machine that will provide you the perfect life, okay? We're calling this Infinity 2.0. It's got all the corrections from the previous uh, system. Okay, so this isn't just a flashlight. This is... No, 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 sir. This is a fully immersive experience (laughs) where you and and all of your loved ones can live in essentially perfect harmony. So this is a, a machine that we will plug you into after you consult with our experts to... Uh, devise the perfect life for yourself. We will maximize whatever features you are interested in, success, challenges, happiness, love, whatever it is that will tailor the perfect experience for you. And once you've decided what that is, we're going to put you into the machine and you're going to live out that experience not knowing that it's fake. It's going to feel fully real to you. It's going to be exactly like you're living your real life. Are you interested, sir? Well, I think the key to this is that we are social beings and I want to know what what my friends and family are going to be doing, because I think it's a very right. different question. If I'm just dunking into this myself and yes, I can trick myself into thinking that it's real life and it'll be a great life. True. And I think there's very real considerations there for my I guess, peace of mind, I would be very concerned in what the rest of the world is doing. Are they in the machine? Are they, Yeah. what are they doing? No, you're a good person, Mr. Smith, and a family man, and I respect that, and uh, uh, you have a wonderful child, and I wouldn't want you to be at all concerned about that wonderful child. So what we're going to do is we're going to work with you to devise the perfect life for your child as well, and your wife, and anyone else you care about. And we're going to put them into experience machines too. So they're all going to get to live their own perfect life, where they're going to have a version of you that is the perfect version of you, that has uh, all the right amount of time for them, and doesn't die suddenly at some point, doesn't have terrible taste in musicals, and understands the value of Hamilton. Like, <laughs> all the things that you could I'm really out. want for Good your day, child. Sir. Ding, ding, the bell of the door as I leave. You just lost yourself a customer. It was worth a shot. (laughs) So what I'm saying is, yeah, you're going to be in your own machine. They're going to be in their own machine. Everyone's going to have a perfectly happy life. Why aren't you in one of these machines? And who's paying the bills on Uh, this? That's my next question. 
Well, yeah, I'm a robot, right? Let's say I'm an a- I'm an AI salesman <laughs> oh, okay. going around selling this to wow. flesh bags. Okay, and so and so also robots are just managing the world for us essentially. So it's like the right, Matrix right. in a way, except we're yeah. you know we can we can stipulate that we're still in control. It's the version of the Matrix where you voluntarily consent to be in the Matrix and you get a perfect experience out of it. I I gotta say I might be a, maybe I'm an easy mark for this uh, con man uh, droid that's selling this this <laughs> overpriced experience machine. Well, we haven't talked price yet, but. Uh, is there financing? That's another. No, sorry, we're getting off topic. <laughs> is it going to uh, matter once you're, you're yeah, exactly. floating in the ooze? Yeah, just take all my money. Really, that's just. Right. I don't need it. What is money to you <laughs> at this point? <laughs> yeah, well, I would say if everybody's doing it and uh, we're all taken care of and robots are managing the planet and all that, yeah, sure. All right, I'm in. Just do you're it. Okay with it? Yeah, sure. You you accept that the the version of your child that you will be experiencing isn't necessarily the real version of your child that they will be in a a separate reality experiencing a virtual version of you. Yeah. Well, what if my child sucks? Like maybe I'm getting a better version of my child. Maybe I'm getting okay. like my child is going to just be a nightmare. Like maybe probably. <laughs> You know, maybe maybe my child oh, snuffs God. me out in my sleep for all I know in the real your, world. Your child is going to send me their therapy bills. <laughs> but this child so is loving. We've got a good relationship because it's a good experience <laughs> machine. And no, I, I think I'm an easy right. sell on this. No, okay. Does that surprise you? Because I think with everything you've laid out, I, I think yeah. I think it's it's might be something that makes sense. I, I I respect your commitment to consequentialism. I thought you would be an, <laughs> an easier mark to break than this. And so I'm clearly going to have to work harder in future episodes to get you to commit to some serious deontological beliefs. But uh, I do think the majority, not the majority, but I think a large number of human beings would say they're not okay yeah. with living a life that is separate from their loved, their real loved ones, right. even if they get perfect facsimiles. Yeah, that's what I think the central question, and and you let me know if I'm wrong in this, because you're, you're the teacher here, but in, in the reading and doing the reading, which, of course, people will always be able to find in the show notes, right? They'll be able to find the mm-hmm. uh, what we're working with so they can read the text if they want to. Right. If it, from this reading, it seems like the central question and, and almost the, maybe the theory that Robert Nozick is trying to get at is that there's something about the real world that we will always want, you know, like we'll always want to, to, we'll we'll always value being in the real world more than even the best experience machine. Is that that seem like what he's trying to get at? Pretty much. He thinks that there's ineffable, there's some uh, irreducible value in Mm. knowing that our experiences are represented by representational of what's going on in the real world so like in the matrix when they say you know cypher you know it won't be real that's that's a quality that he thinks that all of us would find um intuitively grotesque and it's it's not necessarily clear that he's right and i think as we've moved into increasing understandings of virtual reality yeah uh people might be a little more comfortable with this idea yeah, this is what's so interesting because this is originally the the early one I have is 1974, and I think this has changed so much because this this might not be popular with the philosophers, but I think I think this is really a psychology question. Like I think that, mm-hmm. and and maybe that's uh, one of the the advantages of philosophy is kind of posing questions that other sciences eventually can take a, a stab at answering. But I think here here's what i think and you can tell me where i'm where i'm where you think i'm wrong on this but i really think it's tied to a couple of things like this intuition that we want to be in the real world i think it's tied to first and foremost i think we're social beings and i really do think what matters is what everybody else is doing mm-hmm. and uh i think also 
being tied to the real world does involve being able to react to facts as we see them. So I think we're all like, like I anticipate, okay, what's going on in the real world that I'm missing. That's going to harm me in some way. Like, I think we're all Mm -hmm. feeling like we need to be able to respond to facts in that way to changes in our environment in a way that's going to preserve us. But I think here's, here's a couple more things. I think, I think you could solve all those with enough hypotheticals Mm -hmm. and you could hypothetically, you know, postulate that we're certain everything's going to be fine and you will never have, it's not a meteor that's headed for earth that we're all missing because we're all in our machines or something like that. (laughs) And, but I also think, and this is where the psychology kicks in. I also think we might be wrong about ourselves when we imagine it. Like I, and this is a problem I have sometimes with with some of these thought experiments. I'm curious what you think. Like, it might be that really that would be better for us, but we're just wrong about it. We're wrong that it would be better for us or wrong that we, we would push back against it. Like, we, it might be that as humans, when we are posed these hypotheticals, that we aren't mm-hmm. really able to fully put our minds into them. Sure. And we're not able to fully be right about ourselves and what would be best for us. And it might be that it mm-hmm. would be better to just do this given all the stipulations that you can hypothetically, you know, add onto it. Yeah, no, I think you've got a couple of good points there. I think, first of all, we have to always remember with the thought experiment that what we say we would do is not necessarily what we would do. It highlights or what's some best of for our, us. Or what's best for us, right? The second point is that we might say that we would do something, but it might not actually be the thing that is best for us. We could be yeah. totally wrong about that. So Absolutely. he has a, a he has a couple of points here that I think are great to talk about where he talks about like, we don't just want to experience things, we want to actually do them. Because in his mind, I think, if I'm understanding the reading correctly, like we want to be a certain type of person. So it's like, if I Mm -hmm. do some virtual reality and I climb Mount Everest, I think this once again goes back to the social aspect of it, though. If I brag to my friends, yeah, I climb Mount Everest. Whoa, that's amazing. Oh, in a video game. Oh, that's not amazing. You know, like, yeah. I think that's a big part of it. But here's here's where I have for you. Uh-oh, we might have to hit the the music again or something. I've got another hypothetical for you. Uh-oh, within a hypothetical within a hypothetical. A hypothetical, we're in <laughs> inception of hypothetical. I'm in the machine. Imagine Aaron. Can I call you Aaron? Yeah, you Mr. Rabbi. <laughs> Imagine you wake up in a tub of goo, like, uh, like Neo right. or whatever, and you get up and you realize... Um, that every single person in the world is plugged into an experience machine. And and the experience machine you are in is a coordinated reality where you're getting your social systems, your social status, what you accomplish. It's all in there. It's all in the computer. So, you know, your friends, your stories you tell, the things you do, the games you win, all that stuff, that's all in the computer. You come out into the real world and everybody's just sitting in goo. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? I mean, let's say, and by the I also want to stipulate, because we're allowed to do this with these thought experiments, you're not yeah. able to get anyone else out. Because that's their decision. They've locked it in. You're, they've made their decision. You somehow, there's a malfunction. You woke up or something. This is the plot of Passengers, by the way. Oh, really? Well, yeah. what I, I haven't seen it. But what, what I'm trying to get at here is I actually think it's not so much that we care about reality as that we care about our socially constructed reality. Like, right. I think in that scenario, you wake up, you walk around. What are you going to do? There's nothing to do. Like, oh, I'll go farm till the land by myself because it's the real world and I I prefer the real world. It's like, I don't think you would do that. I think you'd be like, oh, get me back in the goo. I guess that's where everybody right. is. <laughs> Your first instinct would immediately be to get back into the AI. Back into <laughs> Jump the me into world. this goo. Yeah, For because sure. I, I, I think psychologically that's more of what's happening. Like uh-huh. if we want to be where everybody is. I think that's that's a, sort of an inescapable part 
in my opinion, of, of our psychology. Let me ask you a question now that you've bought uh, my new machine. Yes. What do you want to program into it? What kind of life do you want if you have absolute control? That's a tough question because once again, I think that's something that we are profoundly bad at. Sure. I think that what my opinion would be wouldn't even be the right thing probably. If we all knew what the best life for us was, we would be a lot happier. <laughs> well, this is an interesting additional question, right? Would you turn over your programming opportunity in this situation to an algorithm that we claim it has mm -hmm. a higher likelihood of programming a life that you will enjoy? Yeah, I think if you can get my you know assumptions high enough, hypothetically, like if I really trust that, then yeah, I think I would. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, this brings us to one of the other points in the reading, which is... And I think this is so dated and I love it because, again, what was it, 1974? He's like, mm. another thing that we don't like about this hypothetical is it it limits us to a man-made world, which is really, you know, like, <laughs> it's just not as good. <laughs> and I'm thinking, really? Like, nowadays, I, I think the real world is is badly overshadowed by the, by the man-made world. I think oh, yeah. human-made worlds are mm. vastly better than... <laughs> Right. I, th I don't world. think Robert Nozick ever got to play World of Warcraft. Yeah. And I don't think he <laughs> yeah. understands that, like, when we have optimal control over every part of our experiences, like, things will get crazy. Yeah. And, and they'll get crazy in some, in often really good ways and, like, oh, adventurous yeah, for ways. Sure. And, you know, that we can make everything a, a lot better. I think already the 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 human made world is better than the real world. So that's a part that I just loved. It was it was so dated. Yeah. So there's another part of the reading that is an excerpt from the Examined Life, which is another Nozick work that's from 1989. So I don't maybe video game technology was a little higher. Maybe <laughs> I don't yeah. know if he's. <laughs> this is his, this is his reformulation of <laughs> yeah. the theory. He's like Tetris is pretty damn good. Never, I've changed all my assumptions. <laughs> <laughs> Who says uh, that philosophy can't be empirical? <laughs> So this one talks more about like, is happiness all we should care about? And it actually asks some really interesting questions that I think you were getting at a moment ago as well, which is like, if happiness, if we were able to pick the graph of our life, you know, is the, the integration, is the area under the curve of happiness what we want? So like the mm -hmm. most happiness over time, or is it, we want to progress, we, we accept less overall, like total happiness units as long as it's a progression, like a steady upward progression versus right. things get worse and worse in our life. But our baseline started high enough that it was a total, a, a higher total, which I think are very interesting questions. Do you by any chance remember the second Matrix movie when the architect explains the history of the matrices that died before the original, before the current one? Oh, my in? God. Uh, no. But now that you say it, I do, because that's that's always the best part of any of any movie is explaining something like that for an hour. That's a great thing to put in a movie. But where he okay. talks about um, actually where it's where Agent Smith in the first one talks about how the first matrix was like a, a paradise but humans kept trying to wake up yeah, yeah and so they had to create one that was more challenging right i right. do think there's a really interesting discussion to be had about how the best of all possible lives is not one of pure constant bliss because the best of all possible lives involves growth and growth involves challenges and so the the perfect life that you would want the algorithm to program would be one that challenges you just enough that you are always like succeeding, but in a way that is satisfying, like a video game, right? A good video game is one that is not so easy that you get bored with succeeding, but not so hard that you can't succeed. There's a little sweet spot in there. True. 
Uh, this will be topic for another show. But I also mm-hmm. think there's an alternative, which is what if we could alter the way that we are so that we are susceptible to just enjoying static pleasure forever? Oh, yeah. Like, there's going to be some human be the... augmentation in this show, I think. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> there's a quote that I just have to point out. He he references it. I'm not sure if he's endorsing it exactly, but he's talking about it in the context of these arguments. And he says, it's like the old quote, it's better to be Socrates dissatisfied than a fool satisfied. And I was like, mm. well, that's certainly false. Like, <laughs> I don't know. He's, yeah, he's quoting um, John Stuart Mill there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. The, your, your boy utilitarian who wants to say that, like, we would prefer the higher pleasures of a life of the mind over the lower pleasures of physical satisfaction of being a pig that's always happy. And basically. I just think that 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 is BS. Like, I don't you, think yeah, we, you, don't, a, you don't buy into that. Elitism. No, no. I think we were if anything, it's like uh, and to reference another great work of science fiction, the the Simpsons, where Homer has the crayon in his brain removed and he's like a genius <laughs> and, yeah. he, and he ends up putting it back in. Cause, <laughs> but it's like yeah. that. if you if you don't know any better and in many ways, you know, humans already don't, you know, relative to some some greater intelligence. But if you don't know any better, I think you are happy. And I think that's a, that's, it's at the very least a, a, a question you could attempt to answer empirically. And I think it's funny that it's offered in the, in a like offhanded, like, yeah, of course, it's better to be like smarter and unhappy than, yeah. <laughs> than, in, than in the not original smart. mill, he offers it in an unsatisfying way, too, in my opinion. He says, We know better because we know what it would be like to be the pig and what it's like to be us. And we know that our <laughs> version is better. But I think you're right. You nah. can 100% say, We don't know if it's really like the pig could be ecstatic. Here's, happy here's my counter argument to that I kind of remember what it was like to be a little kid, and God, uh-huh. was I way more happy. <laughs> it was just like way more happiness like all the time a friend of mine once said that he was on mescaline with his friends and he looked over and they saw a small child wandering around and looking at a butterfly and they're like no matter how much mescaline we do yeah. we're never going to be as happy as that uh, child i think of that all the time <laughs> the mescaline how much have you done <laughs> no, no, no but now no, i might no. <laughs> don't take drug advice drug use advice for a podcast no. No, especially because your child is going to grow up, listen to this, and hate you and want to do drugs. You've put her in a box. Thomas, you immediately <laughs> were like, I put my child in a box and she never sees me again. And you didn't even question it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's happy. She's seeing a better version oh, of me. She's, she she's is, seeing a she's, better version of her dad, too. No, Why would I, I want to see her in that to see experience a shitty version? Machine, her father is bringing her to New York and taking her to Hamilton the <laughs> Musical, and she's happy, and it's wonderful. Uh, you've lost yourself another customer. <laughs> you keep ha- you have me, and then you lose me. I know. But one more point I wanted to hit, kind of related almost to what you just said, is he he hits on. There's kind of a beefed up experience machine in this, you know. I, again, because Tetris came out and <laughs> and Pong, so he's got some more data to work with. But uh, he talks about it and. He he talks about what we would consider for our children, and you just accused me of being totally <laughs> heartless when it comes to my kid. But I also think, again, it comes back to social elements, because I think we can't help but keep in our instincts, even if we're not conscious of it, we're thinking, well, I don't want to just have my kid plugged into a machine because then I can't like, you know, brag about what my kid did in school tomorrow, today. And, you know, like my kid's accomplishments and social things that I get to kind of, you know, like experience secondhand Uh through that person. And I think that we might just be wrong about what the better thing is. Like we might all have an instinct of like, yeah, no, they need to have real experiences when really maybe they're happier being the full satisfied. Mm hmm. So you you take the evil demon, you take the matrix, you uh, you're, you're fine <laughs> well, with a, a fictional version of your child. 
Is the Matrix... Well, okay, the Matrix... Let's see. The way the... You know, the, the way the Matrix lays it out is almost... We do get to live out as long as we want. And it's not even like we're all getting the best possible pleasure life. We're just like, that's reality. Like right now, you and I are in the Matrix. It's just whatever it is. So it's a little different. Could you argue that, you know, if you get unplugged from that goo, you would realize like, well, the best possible good would be if we could be in control of our own bodies and and situation and not just be because like tomorrow the machines could realize that the whole premise behind how they're generating power actually isn't scientifically sound and then just flush <laughs> us down the toilet. <laughs> so well, you could argue well, like yes. the maximum good is, well, let's let's get control of ourselves and then put ourselves in the matrix. There's no there's no upshot to like putting people in this thing other than like it reduces suffering. So, you know, I think we we look for an advanced version here where we we download all of our consciousness into a arc of some sort and then just shoot it into space and live in a virtual world where we're all blissfully happy together, right? Mm, that sounds that's, fun. That's an effective compromise. Let's do it. Okay. I'm in. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> How much? Oh wait. Wait a minute. Our show is called Philosophers in Space. I think we just described what's wow. already happened to us. I Origin think we actually shot ourselves into space. Origin story. And our <laughs> idea of happiness is we're just doing the philosophy and trying to like yep. enjoy good shows and spread the stuff we enjoy and the philosophy we enjoy. Wow. We've done it. We've come full circle. The worst they can find. La la la. <laughs> And as will be true with every episode of Philosophers in Space, you will get an extra segment if you go and support us over on patreon.com slash zero G. That's the number zero, zero G. That's all it is. This one's a good bonus segment because Thomas Smith is going to be a wet blanket like usual. And then maybe you're going to try to try to talk me down about it. We'll see. But <laughs> we are going to talk about some, whether or not this is uh, plausible, this Callister episode. And, and I, I think there's a pretty fundamental flaw in it and we'll see if i'm i'm right or wrong on that yeah all right thanks so much for listening to philosophers in space we'll be floating out here dishing more <laughs> philosophy to you guys and our experience machines in the sky and uh definitely check out that extra extended edition it's gonna be a lot of fun that's all for the main show but if you'd like to go to patreon.com slash zero g you can enjoy philosophers in space after dark. Here's a little sneak peek for you. So I think this means, unless I'm mistaken, that Thomas is a wet blanket is is one and oh here. Like I think I'm <laughs> this this is a case in which your wet blanketness is accurate. It tracks yeah, yeah, the reality. Ac- uh, hey, and I respect that. I'm technically correct, which is the best kind of correct. That's right. You you are not wrong in this situation. You are just an asshole. One point <laughs> one point for you, sir. <laughs> This has been a burst transmission of Philosophers in Space. All music written and performed by Thomas Smith. If you've enjoyed your infotainment upload, please locate the nearest podcast interface device and fill it with five-star ratings and glowing reviews. If you think Ground Control should spring for fun new goodies and content, consider supporting us at patreon.com slash zero G. You can find us on Twitter at Zero G Philosophy, where Aaron will instantly and compulsively respond. Or you can email us at philosophersinspace at gmail.com. Finally, if you're sad that it takes so long for our signals to reach Earth, you can always find Thomas over at Serious Inquiries Only and Opening Arguments, and Aaron over at Embrace the Void. Until next time, live long and philosopher. Ah. Uh.
Ah, so good. So fun. Thank you so much for sampling that new show. I really hope it takes off because it's so fun. It has so much promise. So if you go to patreon.com slash zero G, that's just the number zero and G, you will find the extended first episode as well as the extended second episode where we break down Ricksty Minutes. We are big Rick and Morty fans and there's so much good philosophy in Rick and Morty. It won't be the last episode of that show that we break down, but in episode two of Philosophers in Space, Aaron uses Ricksty Minutes to talk about possible worlds, and it gets really fun. I think the phrase he uses is intuitively grotesque, but <laughs> it gets really fun. So I hope you'll check it out. Seriously, it's great stuff, and I'm, I'm incredibly proud of it, and I really hope it can be its own thing here. The only thing left for me to do is to thank my new member for this week over at seriespod.com slash support, and that is Zika Baby. Thank you so much, Zika Baby, for working through some technical difficulties but still getting it done. I appreciate the support, and I am looking forward to Monday. I've got a great interview coming your way. And members at seriespod.com slash support will get Monday's episode a little early. I have to have it done anyway because I will be gone. So I'll get that out early. And finally, Eli Bosnick and I are going to get around to doing our episode. His schedule has been pretty rough. So uh, that's something that members can look forward to as well. Thank you so much. I really hope you like the new show. Have a great rest of your week and see you on Monday. (laughs) 